0: Hey lovelies, before we get started, I wanted to let you know that the pre-order for the spring snuggle dress, the lightweight version of my best-selling style ever, is open now. This is actually the first time that I've decided to offer a style for two different seasons and it was honestly because it was just such a highly requested item that I couldn't resist so if this is something that at all interests you I highly highly suggest you pre-order um, when inventory comes in it is sure to go fast I thought I made enough of the winter snuggle dress it sold out in I think less than a day so just for your sanity and mine, please pre-order. The pre-order cannot sell out. Pre-ordering guarantees you get the size and color you want. There's two beautiful colors, a um, heather gray that's really beautiful. It's in this rib knit and also in the same rib knit, a color that the only word that I can think of is oatmeal. It's this beautiful, neutral, somewhere between beige and kind of yellowy it's just it's a really really beautiful color so to get the size and color that you want the easiest thing to do is just to pre-order when you pre-order i'm making one especially for you and you don't have to worry about it the pre-order closes overnight on wednesday february 2nd that is two days after this episode is first published all pre-orders are guaranteed to ship by march 14th it'll be that perfect in between weather time uh, to really get a lot of use out of this dress. You can get your stress-free snuggles in by going to impactfashionnyc.com. And if you're looking for something with a little more instant gratification, you can still get the All-American dress, my version of the classic denim shirt dress. Some sizes are sold out, others are running low, but overall availability is still pretty good and returns are coming in every day because my return policy is so fantastic with free shipping in both directions and all of that. So it's definitely worth checking out. You can see that on impactfashionnyc.com as well. Thanks so much for your continued support and enjoy the show. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Rick Yitzkowitz and on today's show, Rachel and I are joined by Alyssa Goldwater to wrap up our winter long mental health series with a discussion on stigma talk about the difference between mental health and mental illness, the hypocrisy of judging others, how Alyssa handles other people's reactions to her sharing, and the problem with saying they're just doing it for attention. Hello, Rachel and Alyssa. How are you doing today?
1: I agree.
2: So good. Good to be here again
0: again right it's so this is this is a little bit of a different conversation than what we usually have um aside from the fact that there's two of you and one of me so i'm outnumbered um we are going to be wrapping up this mental health winter with this really important conversation on stigma so if you've been listening to the show throughout the winter then you know that rachel and i have been breaking down all of these different mental health topics that are really important and and we felt like it was appropriate to Wrap everything up with stigma, uh, because part of the reason why we wanted to do the series in the first place was because there is so much stigma around talking around me- talking about mental health, um, and all of that. So, uh, Rachel, I'd love for you to start. Can you explain what stigma is and why it is such a
1: like like Who cares? Why does it matter that we talk about these things? Yeah. So, stigma is when you view um, something in a negative way because you believe that there is something very bad about it. There's something embarrassing or shameful or um, just like not good about it. So when we talk about mental health stigma, we we are, um, we're understanding that people feel negatively about having issues with mental health or even talking about it because it's something embarrassing. It's something shameful. It means that there's something wrong with you. There is a flaw in your character or in your family. Um, it's a weakness. It's because of something that you've done. We like to, you know, a lot of the time, part of the mental health stigma is like, we blame people for it. Oh, your child is this because of your parenting or you're this way because of X, Y, and Z. Um, and theres there is there there's that self stigma, right? Sometimes we stigmatize ourselves. So even though, you know, people might be accepting of certain, you know, mental health issues or whatever, like we hold a lot of shame about it. And so we don't talk about it. You know, infertility, there's so much talk about infertility these days. There's really not so much of, you know, the stigma that there used to be, but still people hold a lot of shame. So that's like a self stigma. And then there's that social stigma, public stigma, and that's you know when there's negative stereotypes about people with mental health issues. So like, oh, you know, she struggles with depression. Like, oh, she must be crazy, or her it must be that her husband is so mean to her. Or she's so you know, and like people kind of make up reasons why they believe that someone struggles with mental health or, or mental illness. Um, and the way that we break mental health stigma, the way that we break any stigma, is through what we're doing today: is talking about it, helping people understand what it is that they're talking about, helping people understand that there is no like blame or, you know, negative character traits that make someone more or less susceptible to you know mental illness, meaning that it's not something you can control necessarily. Um, and so I think that the more we talk about it, the less shameful it feels for people who are experiencing it. And the more empathy there is for the people who who go through this and you know, those around them who don't necessarily understand it. Right. Like I'm thinking back
0: to the second conversation that we had around anxiety and you were explaining how that negative feedback loop and how, you know, and and how that worry feeds itself. And there's this energy that has nothing to go, that has nowhere to go. And you know, telling someone in that situation, you just need to calm down. Well, honey, the problem is that I literally can't. And the more that we, that we know um, about these issues and that we talk about these issues, the more people understand, oh, wait, when someone says that they have an anxiety disorder, that means that they chemically cannot just calm down. So, and it's not because they're high, strung or anything like that. It's just because that's the way that their, that their brain is wired. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, this, this feeling of like, you are X because Y, I'm curious how that fits into, like, we do know, or at least I think we know, I, I think, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, that certain mental illnesses or, or things like episodes can be can be triggered by situational things. So like we know, um, do you know the, the study on ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences?, where it's, it's, it's a whole list. I think it was a study done in California where it was a whole list of, I think nine or 10 things. And if you had experienced any of these nine or 10 things that were like um, childhood trauma, or um, I think sexual abuse was on that list. There were, there were all sorts of different things on that list. Then you were more likely to be, to experience depression or other mental or other mental illnesses. So is there some truth to the, you know, yeah, if you grow up in an abusive home, you are more likely to be depressed or something like that or is it like how does that how does all of that fit
1: into this discussion there's definitely things that can contribute to the development of a mental illness for sure but we know that people can go through the same things and then not develop a mental illness so you can come from an abusive home and not have mental illness you can come from a healthy home you know where your parents were loving and kind and you didn't grow up in you know a poverty stricken home and you had all the support in the world and you still have mental illness and that's why i think it gets very touchy um, when, you know, people who, who maybe don't understand mental health will start talking about these things and then attributing, you know, certain things that happen in a person's life to their mental illness. And, you know, I've seen it on, on um, social media where there's these massive accounts of, you know. Therapists who have huge followings, and I'm talking like millions. I'm not talking about like Sprincy McGiggle from the Five Tans. You know, I mean, like the massive, the therapy. I would follow Sprincy McGiggle for the Sprincy record. Giggle. I don't know if she exists, but if she does, I will follow her. <laughs> I'm talking about like big accounts where they're, you know, like mental illness is like a result of trauma and like blanket statements like that. And so then we think, oh, anyone that has mental illness must have been traumatized and must have had a horrible childhood or must have been terribly abused. And when we do that again, it doesn't mean that that's not true on some level, but to make blanket blanket statements like that, to say, oh, it's a result of trauma That is, I think, highly shaming because I think it minimizes what mental illness is. And it's just wrong. There are people that have not experienced those things, you know, and that will even say themselves. I grew up in like a normal house and nothing bad happened to me, you know? But there's a genetic component. There's an environmental component. Like there's so, it's so complex. So, and this is, you know, the downside to, to social media is like, we take very complex ideas and we put them in a little square, and people don't read beyond that. They're just like, oh, well, I saw on this, you know, Sprintzy McGeggle's account that this is what it is. And like, you know, oh, that must be it. And they don't research any more than that. And it's like, we can't, we can't, do that we can't make it like black and white and just in this little post and like you think that you get it you know um so yeah it doesn't fit into 15 second sound bites it's just it just doesn't work like that you know and not even in a little post with like a certain amount of words like we can't that's like just the beginning so I think it is you know again social media is great for creating awareness but we need to and I feel like there should like maybe always be a disclaimer maybe I'll start putting those actually if I talk about mental illness or mental health I mean, anytime that I speak about that in a post, like just to say like, there is more <laughs> to this. Like what I'm saying here is like not the whole picture. You know, I mean, I tend not to talk about that stuff in posts because I feel like it's it's a slippery slope. And I know that people will just take what they see half the time they won't even read the caption. And, you know, I could be doing some kind of damage in that way. So I'm always very mindful of like what I put into a post, but yes, our experiences can, you know, trigger that stuff. but. Like I said, there can be people with you know great mental health who have gone through traumatic things, and I think so. Have- so it's not a formula, basically. It's not like
0: if your life goes down said path that it ends in depression, anxiety, and OCD. Like it's
1: it, that's just not the way. But correlation does not mean that that is the cause, you know. Right?
0: And I'm so glad that you brought up the social media piece because Alyssa, you have chosen to be oh, open. Does not even feel like it describes how open you have chosen to be about your mental health. Um on a on a particular on a very public platform, um on a very public platform with a very big audience, um you are very open about your day-to-day struggles. You were very open about was it last summer that you were in that um outpatient program? I think it- last um spring. Last spring. Okay. So you did this- 2021, yeah. Okay. So you did this outpatient program and you documented it. And I have to say that was something that really affected me because first of all, if I was in that kind of program, I, hell no, what I have like told people who I actually know, let alone people who I don't know. Um, I, I like, I was, I, there was definitely a part of me that was like, what the hell is she thinking? Why would like, what is happening there? But also as you were sharing your experiences with that, there was another part of me that was like, I'm so glad that she's doing this because there was because the, the, the sharing that process and what that meant to you and how, and even talking down to like things like you were talking about insurance stuff and how that, and how that was able to even come together and, and happen. And I'd love for you, if you could walk me through, was there a point when you decided like, okay, I'm going to be open about these mental health struggles or was it just kind of always your default? What made you decide to be, to say, okay, this is something that is important to me. And that I'm going to stick up for, and, and then I'm going to, you know, live out loud.
2: Sure. So I'm a very open person in general. I'm very blunt. I just give it to people straight. And, you know, a whole part of my platform, like the premise of my platform is being real and sharing my real life to offer others support because on so many social media platforms, they are not seeing real life. They're seeing something that makes them feel bad about themselves because they can't go on luxurious vacations every other week or afford these Prada shoes. Um, And I think it's important to have that balance. Um, I wish there were more people like me on social media, but it's okay. I'll take the monopoly. It's good for business. Uh, (laughs) It just sort of came naturally and I thought it was important. I'm a sharer. It helped. Sharing is part of my healing also. Um, Like, It helps me when I'm going through struggles to be able to talk about it. um, It helps me process. So, you know, I was never embarrassed that I was going on this program. Um, I knew that there would definitely be stigmas. I mean, I had some people you know, even in my personal life being like, so you're going to rehab. So you're being hospitalized. You're going to a psych ward. And, you know, I wanted to break those stigmas that people have about these sorts of programs because it changed my life.
0: Can you explain what sort of program Um, it it is for someone who might not be familiar with what we're talking about?
2: Yeah, sure. So I went to Compass Health Center. Um, There are all over the Chicagoland area. And I'm sure there are programs like this. I um, actually had a lot of people asking me about programs like this in the New York area. And I tried to refer them to you know, people in the New York area who might have better um, knowledge of those programs. But anyways, it's um, an intensive outpatient program, IOP, and a partial hospitalization program, a PHP. Um, Those things mean the only, like the difference in those are the length of time that you're there throughout the day. Nobody stays the night. Um, So IOP, you're there for, you're there from 8.30 to 2.30. um, And then PHP, you're there from 8.30 to 12.30. So a half a day versus more of like a full day program.
0: When you say 12.30, Um, you mean like midnight?
2: No, 12.30, 12.30. Lunch.
0: Lunch. Well, well, oh, it's so funny. Cause I would think that a partial hospitalization program would be longer than an IOP.
2: Yeah. Cause it's intensive outpatient versus whatever. Okay. I don't,
0: I don't that make doesn't up matter. The Semantic. Term. Sorry. Continue. Yeah,
2: I don't make up the terms. So they have different tracks. They have, you know, specific to mood and anxiety disorders. They have youth programs. Um, they have for chronic pain. And then I did the trauma track. Um, all sorts of different kinds of trauma people coming in there For also like fresh trauma to like 20 year old trauma um all different types of symptoms from like suicidal ideation to um alcohol abuse running the gamut so but you don't talk in these programs you don't talk about your actual trauma you talk about um like the feelings you get from the trauma. Um, so as not to like trigger anybody else. Um,
0: that makes sense to me. I hear that. Yeah, How, like if you, you get don't... a whole bunch of people with trauma in a room and you all just start talking about your trauma, that seems like it could, that, that, that seems like a room of fireworks with a bunch of lit matches.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, like if someone is have is self-harming themselves If two people are self-harming themselves and one is doing better and the other one comes and is like, I accidentally did it this morning, you know, that could be really harmful for the other person who's doing better. Um, So, you know, everyone is just trying to get better. And the great thing about it is it's a lot of group therapy. And I always had this stigma of my own. I always thought group therapy, I would feel so uncomfortable in group therapy and, um, I just thought it was so weird and there was no way that I could be helped through group therapy but it was my favorite part of the program just everybody is there for the same reason everybody is like-minded in the fact that they want to get better and they want to grow and there is no judgment whatsoever um it is a total non-judgmental space and it's just it's phenomenal and the concepts that I was learning there, I just felt that I had to share them from like a layman's perspective. Um, and I would always preface, you know, I'm not a doctor, but like, this is something really cool that I learned. Um, you know, we talked a lot about ACT, um, which is a type of therapy, um, you know, DBT, dialectical behavior therapy, and some like tools that I learned there for managing my emotional regulation. I just became very emotionally aware of myself. Um, And it was, it was incredible. And I knew that I had to share and I knew that it was like, not wishy-washy, but like, I knew that I knew that there would be pros and cons to sharing, but I felt that there were so many more pros than cons. And the response I got in DMs was like overwhelming, overwhelmingly assuring to me that I was doing the right thing.
0: What were some of the things that you were considering in terms of like, what were some of the pros and cons that you were weighing when deciding whether or not to share specifically about this program or about your mental health in general?
2: So really the only thing I ever care about are my children. Um, And unfortunately there are so many stigmas still in the Jewish community and beyond about mental health. And if you have mental health then there are these like bad stigmas. I can't even think of like what they really are. It's just, it's almost like a feeling that people get about you and your family. And my kids are only, you know, almost five, almost six. But you have to think about him at some point, you know.
0: You don't want to get a rap for being that crazy family.
2: Right. But yeah. then I thought, if somebody doesn't want to marry my child because my child's mother was taking care of herself, then I don't want them in my family. Amen. Um, same went when I chose to share about Ozzy's Diabetes. I know that's not about mental health, but it took a while for us to share. It took about three weeks after his diagnosis for us to share. And I said, if someone doesn't want to marry my child because he has diabetes, then I definitely don't want her marrying him. Um, You know, I, my husband also has type one diabetes and I knew he had diabetes marrying him. I couldn't have cared less, honestly, but it's that. I just don't want them in my family. And I think, you know, by the time my kids are ready to get married, hopefully we will have broken down more of these stigmas and more of these barriers so it will be more normalized, but I'm not going to stop helping people. It just it just was a non-issue for me. It's just very clear to me that anybody who would think badly of me or my family, for me getting healthy and taking care of myself I don't care you know it seems like
0: you had it very clearly um boxed as like a this is a you issue that's something that you need to deal with like this is something that's important to me and that and that I'm going to be and that I'm going to take care of and you need to like you need to handle your stuff on your own time Rachel you have been nodding this entire time and I'd love to hear your thoughts on on what Alyssa has been sharing
1: Yeah. I think that, um, when people feel like afraid and when they judge generally, that's because like, it's triggering something in them that they feel like, how does she have the courage to talk about that? You know, I could never, usually there's that same struggle that they're identifying with, but they're so scared or it makes them face things that they don't want to face. So when they see someone, and I don't know if you ever get this, Alyssa, but you know, when they see someone talking about a topic that they're like terrified to, to even face or address themselves. They might be like, why could you, why are you talking about that? It's so inappropriate and this is not the place for it. And they might like try to shut you up because they themselves like don't wanna face it. They don't wanna think about it. They don't wanna ask themselves like, do I struggle with this? You know, um, I also think it's so interesting that there is, you know, stigma around and Like you said, finding a match over, ridiculous things like (laughs) diabetes. I have a client who has Crohn's and she's like, I could never let anyone know that I have Crohn's. I won't get a shit off. I'm like, are you kidding me like this is what we're asking now like does she did she ever get a root canal like stop it like that literally does not impact how you will engage as a partner and what you will be like as a as a parent and you know who you will be in your community like get out of town like we've really lost sight of what's important and these things like get me angry because when we teach our kids right and parents who hold these stigmas are passing them down to their children and saying oh this is what's important like you know what their insulin levels are Like it's the same thing, by the way, to be blaming someone for having type one diabetes and then blaming them for, you know, being open about I was struggling and I was having a hard time and I went and got help for it. Right. It's the same thing to be blaming something like that and saying it's it's a fault. we're teaching our children that that's really what matters in a relationship. And it's like, what could not be farther from the truth, you know, like you need to be looking at the quality of a human being, their character. I think, you know, Even more yeah. so
2: they should want to marry my children because I am taking care of my mental health and my health in general. And there are so many people who unfortunately are not taking care of their mental health. And then they get married and it turns out that, it's a horrible marriage because unfortunately these people have mental illness that they just, they don't deal with. And then it comes out, you know, when they get married or when they have
1: kids. Yeah. Um,
2: So even more so the other way.
1: Or Or the people that say, Oh, I don't want my child to marry someone from a divorced family. And it's like, okay, but you're actually in here because your marriage is so dysfunctional and you're modeling a horrible marriage for your child. So the child whose parents decided it's not healthy, what we're doing, we need to separate so that our kids can have a chance to just live in a peaceful home. And we'll, you know, hopefully we try to be amicable. Maybe we're not, but whatever, versus the ones that stay together and hate each other and scream and yell. And who knows what's going on behind, behind closed doors, you know? So it's like, Oh, they can't marry from a divorced home, but they can grow up in a home where those parents should have probably been divorced, you know? And so that's why, again, like that stuff just like, makes me so, upset and and just like it baffles my mind like really you think that's because you stayed together and by the way i know you plan on getting divorced once all your kids get married just Uh fbi right (laughs) you know that as soon as the last one's out of the house you guys are getting divorced because you hate each other but she can't go out with the guy whose parents divorced when he was 13 because he doesn't know how to have a marriage you know? And like that stuff is just, it comes from ignorance. It comes from stigma. It comes from, and, and that's more like a self-stigma, right? Because like, we know that, you know, unfortunately divorce is very normal these days. Like when we were kids growing up, nobody got divorced. Like if you're, if your friend's parents were divorced, you're like, wow, must've been really bad. Now it's like, okay, it's normal to hear about a divorce. Like it, it's more common, but there's still people who feel so much shame around it. And then they'll pass it down to their children and be like, well, if they're from a divorce home, they're not going to know how to have a relationship. And I just think, again, like that shows a complete lack of understanding for just (laughs) humans in general, and also like what goes into a divorce, you know, Um, and we need to do better. We need to do better. For sure. And it's, and it's
0: like you said, it all boils down to this ignorance. It boils down to not really understanding, you know, Uh, you know, kind of following the divorce example through, there are amicable divorces. There are couples that function way better when they are not living together. And there are functioning people with mental illnesses there are people who are healthier because they've acknowledged their pro- i can't think of any situation where you wouldn't be healthier by acknowledging your problems getting the proper treatment and dealing with it um you know those those are just it's just ignorance that doesn't allow those spaces to that that doesn't allow us as i guess as a society i guess we could say too to evolve and just be accepting of the fact that not everybody's brain works the same day the same way and some of us need to get certain chemicals in a bottle. Like, it's just not that, it just doesn't seem
1: like that big of a deal when you put it that way, but yet it's still such a hard bridge for people to cross. I think people need to also understand the difference between, like, mental health and mental illness and to understand that, like, we all have mental health, just like we yes. all physical health, right? Like, everybody has mental health. This is not like a, oh, Alyssa has mental health and Rachel doesn't. No, we all have mental health. Mental health is our emotions, our thoughts, our abilities to connect with people, our resiliency. We don't all necessarily have mental illness, right? But at some point in your life, you will struggle with your mental health. Q pandemic, right? <laughs> Everybody has been struggling these past two years. And even if it hasn't been like horrible, maybe you enjoy working from home and whatever, it has been very challenging these past two years, what we have gone through with elections and and all the divisiveness that we've seen in Jewish communities. Are you vaxxing? Are you not vaxxing? Are you pro this one, pro that one, whatever it is, we have been affected. So our mental health has been affected. And then there's mental illness, right? And so, you know, some people get strep, someone might have chronic illness, someone might have cancer, you know, and again, sometimes those mental illnesses can be managed and can even like, go away. So you might struggle with depression for a little while and then, you know, thank God things get better and, it, and it's better. Um, but then it might be a lifelong illness. And you can be someone who has mental illness and has incredible mental health, right? Because you see your therapist, you take your medication, you're functioning. You can have someone who has no mental illness and have horrible mental health. You don't want to see people, your marriage is falling apart, you're fired, no one likes you, you right? you could just be just a mess of a human being, you know, that you're angry all the time, whatever it is. And again, not diagnosable. It's not schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, or, you know, it's not a mental illness per se, but your mental health is really struggling. So I think when people say like, oh, mental illness, ew, it's like, but I literally know people with mental illness that are functioning better than people that have nothing. When you say mental illness, you're talking about something that is diagnosable and treatable. A Diagnosable mental illness, yes. As opposed to just mental health, which is just how our brains and minds are doing? Our emotions, our thoughts, our feelings, our ability to function every day, you know, like I said, how you deal with, how you interact with people, your relationships, um, your communication skills, like that kind of stuff, you know? Got it. So when I hear that, like, we all have mental health and
0: sometimes we'll go through hard patches in that it's kind of like the equivalent of getting a cold. Like we will, you will occasionally get a cold and it doesn't mean that you have a chronic disease or you know, it might need to be treated. You might need to go to the doctor and get some antibiotics or whatever, but it'll, it'll, you know, it'll kind of pass on its own. You can deal with it with like honey and tea and watching more TV.
1: Listen, but you- someone's going to get dumped by their boyfriend. They may get divorced. They may have a friend who ditches them out of nowhere. They may, you know, get into some scuffle with family members or be estranged even, and that will affect their mental health, but that doesn't mean that they have mental illness. And, and again, I think people need to understand the difference that, You know, like I said, you can have someone who has all of these things in their lives, estrangement and divorce, and they have nobody and they can't keep a job. And and then you have someone who has a diagnosable that on the outside, people would hear it and be like, oh my God, she has like, you know, bipolar disorder, like holy moly, but she's functioning better than that person, you know, because her marriage is functional and her kids are healthy and happy and she holds down a job and she's doing this and she's doing that. So we're so quick to judge the label without understanding that you could be a person that has nothing on paper, you're not taking any medications, but you're not keeping it together, you know? And so I think that's important for people to get, like, it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't, there doesn't have to be mental illness there to be like, oh, wow, they're really messed up. You know, like you can have problems no matter what. We all struggle at some point. And that's something that people need to remember too. Like, don't look down on people who are having a hard time. Like, if you haven't had a hard time yet, like, I don't know what world you're living in, but you're going to have a hard time. That's just the reality of being a human. You know, so we need to just have a little bit more empathy for people. And again, I think when we're judging, we need to take a step back and ask ourselves, like, what is it about this situation that I am having such a reaction that I feel like I need to, like, say something or I need to like teach them about this, or I need to tell them it's wrong. Like maybe I feel jealous. Maybe I feel, like I said, maybe I'm afraid that if they talk about this, then I should consider, you know, that I myself, I have a problem or I need help or, you know, Right. I hear that. I'm I'm curious about how people's reactions
0: figure into your decisions, Alyssa, because, you know, actually before we started recording, you actually said that you realized recently that as you were kind of posting, you were actually documenting a downward spiral in real time without realizing. And then a couple people got concerned. Um, and And I'm curious what your experiences are with that kind of thing and how you deal with that on the back end.
2: You know, I think overwhelmingly, it's usually supportive. Um, people just care. Um, maybe they care because they're worried about me and they don't want me to jump off a ledge, you know? But um, I think for the most part, people just care. And then there are also people who will come into my DMs and, you know, thank me because I've given them the strength and support. That they needed to, you know, either talk to their family about their mental health, um, or start therapy. I get a lot of messages. My family doesn't support me. Um, but I still think because of you, it's important to go to therapy. So I'm going to, um, I had a woman message me that she actually did the program I did. And, um, you know, was so nervous to tell anybody, um, but again, like, I helped her be able to do that, and that affects me, not really in a mental health way, but I, it's just, like, I know that I have a purpose, and I know that, like, I have to continue sharing, because if I can just help one person, but I'm not even helping just one person, it helps more than one person, Um, you know, slowly, slowly, we're going to break down these barriers and you never know who's watching. And it could be someone who has stigmas against mental health. And the more I talk about it, you know, maybe their stigmas are going to be broken down. Have you ever regretted sharing something? No, no, really not. In regards to mental health? No, definitely not. I I, I have to tell you, people also it's a very weird thing on social media, and any influencer will tell you this: people love a tragedy, people love problems, yep, people love um, sex, which they don't get from me, but they do get from other people. <laughs> I was um,
1: gonna say, uh, did I miss that? No, <laughs> so I definitely don't
2: talk about that. Um, that's probably the first time I've ever said that word out loud. Uh- <laughs>
0: You heard it here first folks.
2: That is just my, I stay away from that topic. Um, but people love that stuff. And so my community is even like louder when I'm on a downward spiral. I mean, my DMS were flowing. Um, but when, and- when
0: you're, when your DMS are exploding, when you're on a downward spiral, is it like, are you okay? Or is it like, like put a lid on it. Like, what are what are the kinds of reactions that you get from sharing those those types of things?
2: You know, sending love. I hope you're okay. You know, then there are those people who, you know, will send me $10 for a coffee. And that's not why I share. Listen, I'm not saying no to a free coffee. Um, and it's very nice. And I hope my hope would be, I hope that people know that I'm not just sharing to get attention because I think probably some people in the back of their head think that. I also think that I talk about mental health on like a normal level enough that when I do have, I don't know, you know, quote unquote episode or I'm going through a hard time, they know that that's just like chemically what happens to me and I handle it. They can, they also know that like, they can have a bad day too, and it will get better, I said it this morning on my stories because you know thank God my kids were out of school this week and now they're back in school, and it was just I got threatened to be sued this week, it was just like really awesome. don't worry, I have followers who are lawyers and they're willing to take on my case. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, also, it was ridiculous. You just it's said okay, you had a ridiculous. bad experience at I a place, and then away. the manager started it's like culpac- threatening you.
2: you. That was ridiculous. I said this morning that if my week can get better, yours can too. And I think that I don't know why people come out in throws, throws, throws
1: droves droves droves,
0: droves. yeah that's the word yes All right. <laughs> I
1: think you could even say throngs of people throngs Th- not thongs throngs but I think you are combining the two words droves and throat and throngs Alyssa,
2: Alyssa talks about sex and thongs today <laughs> 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 title <laughs> of the episode
1: <laughs> Put that in the show notes, we talk about sex and thongs. <laughs> <PG-13>.
2: <laughs> um, Ooh. I don't know why they come out in throngs, droves, throws, thongs when I talk when I'm having a bad day, but I am appreciative of the support. Um, and I usually disclaimer saying, like, I probably won't respond to all of your messages. That's a big part of my business is that even though I get, I do get so many messages, I do my very, very best to respond to each one. And I think people really, really appreciate it. I consider that time that I take part of my work day. Um, It's enjoyable usually, um, but I will disclaimer, you know, I will not respond to medical advice. I will not, you know, respond to political opinions. Um, I just might not respond because I can't, um, and I do that for my own sanity because people do come out and they try and give you mental advice or, I mean, medical advice and you have to have thick skin. And I realized that not everybody is like me. So I wouldn't recommend everybody doing this on such a public platform. You have to be a, a different kind of person to be able to do that. And of course I've like, you know, grown this, skin and confidence over time. Um, but for the most part it's very supportive. I don't even remember what your question was, but me neither, I but think,
0: that's great. But now I, I have another I, one. Said,
2: I think I- what I said was important. So there you go.
0: So there you go. So <laughs> you meant you mentioned attention. Um, you you mentioned um, you mentioned you know that people that you know you're not just doing this for attention. And I think that this is also where part of the the stigma or like the when there's something that we don't understand or that we'd rather not deal with or acknowledge, then it is way easier to say, she's making it up. She's making it up, he's he's crazy, they're nuts. And it, does, it didn't really happen like that. We actually see this a lot, particularly in closed communities around a sexual assault and sexual abuse allegations. It's just easier to say this didn't happen.
1: Um, Rachel, how often does it happen that somebody makes up a mental illness? not very often. I'm not going to say never because I'm sure it does happen, but like most people don't want to do that to themselves, you know? And just like, you know, we talk about like abuse allegations, like no one wants to go through that hell to say that something like that happened to them, you know? So we should believe people when they tell us that they're struggling with their mental health. And I've seen people, by the way, I have heard this where I've had clients who feel suicidal and you know their parents will say she's just being manipulative just she's such a manipulator like if your kid is saying that they feel suicidal I don't care what you think the intention is behind it they're asking for help regardless they're asking for attention regardless so the need is still the same is I need help You know, so to say that, and again, when people say that, then they never take anyone seriously. So then, you know, someone could, you know, really be actively suicidal. And then we miss that because we've always been like, oh, just doing it for attention. She's so manipulative. Like there's literally no such thing. Um, And so I think we need to really believe people when they say they're struggling. And again, I think that the more that we learn to know the signs and to, to understand, like, how this this happens, um, then I think people will be more willing to listen and they will be more aware and they'll you know stop being like, oh just get out of bed and you'll be fine like that's not how it works, you know And so the more they, we have these conversations, then sometimes when you know someone's struggling and says like you know I, it's really hard for me, like I'm finding it hard to face the day then instead of being like, well, come on, I'll take you shopping, you'll be great. They say like, okay, do you want to talk about it? Do you wanna see someone? Do you feel like we need to like contact somebody? You know, there will be more empathy, but I feel like, you know, once upon a time, like people really didn't get it at all. And so that used to be the, like, just get over it, smile, you'll feel happy. And now I think that because there's so much mental health awareness, sometimes a little too much, but because there's so much, people are more sensitive and are willing to change their responses. And that's why we have to keep the conversations going. You know. Alyssa, what are your thoughts on this
0: sharing for attention?
2: (laughs) I think a lot of people are worried about sharing because they don't want people to think that they're looking for attention, um, or they don't like the attention or it's not that they don't like it. They're not comfortable with the attention, um, that they get when people do genuinely care. Um, but I think I think we just all have to, it's just so important. You know, we need to just get into the mindset that it is normal to help each other when you're struggling. And at some point, you're going to be struggling and your community is going to want to help you. And then you'll have an opportunity sometime when someone else is struggling to help them. It's not, like, don't feel bad You're accepting chesed or charity. Um, If somebody wants to make you dinner, you know, you will have the opportunity to give back. And I think that is really where my, I think now the stigma on attention for sharing is mostly on the person it's happening to, not other people who are offering to help. I think, you know, there was a girl I, w- I went to elementary school with and she lied and she, you know, would make up these stories. This was in like third grade. And, you know, we would say, she just wants attention. Like we were aware of that. And maybe it was happening on like a third grade level. But I think as adults, unless that third grader really never developed, she's not doing that anymore. And maybe it is a mental illness. And I just think that the stigma is, uh, comes from within the person shared. Yeah, it's also, it's
0: interesting because like, like Rachel said, even, even if, let's assume for a second, they're making it up. They're not actually depressed, anxious, bipolar, schizophrenic, whatever. That's a serious thing to, to tell people and it should be addressed. Like that's a symptom.
1: Yeah, so you Like know? that's a problem too. Right. Yes. Exactly. Like, and even if, and, and again, even if it's for attention, we say that, like, it's a bad thing that someone's begging for attention. We're like, ew, they just want attention. And we turn away. Like, where is our humanity that right. we look and we say, this person must really be struggling. If this is how they're coming out here, that they're, that you'll look at it, you know, and, and some, sometimes, you know, I'm sure you've seen pages that you're like, What the heck is going on here? You know, that you're like, oh my God. And so, usually, what people do is they send the story to all their friends and they screenshot it and they story and they show it around and they talk badly about them. And I would say, could we just like stop for a minute and can we just maybe have some empathy and be like, wow, if someone's doing this online, like something must be really, really wrong. And so, maybe I can send a message and just be like, hey, hope everything's okay you know, and, and not share it with my friends and gossipy and be judgy. Like if someone is begging for attention, again, we frame it so negatively. And by the way, we do this about kids too. Oh, they're just tantruming for attention. Like, no, they need something. And so what if, even if that's the case, so we don't say to our kid, oh, well, I'm not giving you what you want because you're tantruming. We get down on the floor and we say, wow, you're having a really hard time right now. You're so upset. I see you're screaming and yelling, you're really mad that mommy did this or that whoever, we don't turn away and abandon them. And I think that it's it's the same for adults. Like our emotions, like they mature, so to speak but we still need the same responses. We still need connection. We still need love. We still need acceptance. We still need community. And as human beings, by the way, when we feel lonely, we will do, we have adult tantrums. So we'll get on Instagram and we'll be tantruming on, on Instagram because someone please see me, someone please hold me, someone please care about me. And I think that we forget that a lot. And then we start like, we like, oh, train wreck and we can't look away. Can we just like stop for a minute and just be like, wow, this person must be struggling and I'm just going to send a heart today or a message. And, and maybe I'll even, if I don't want to do that, maybe I'll just resist the urge to like share it around with my friends and make fun of them, you know? Yeah, that's, that, that would definitely be, you know, definitely starting by do no harm is a, is a good
0: place to, to start. As we wrap this up, um, I, what are, what are some of the things that we can do to, to minimize stigma, like what are I this to me feels like inner work. This to me feels like like things that we need to address in our own heads, and then how we talk about these topics in general. But um, Alyssa, I'll start with you. What are some of the things that that you think people can do to kind of minimize the stigma around mental health and mental illness, and getting help, and you know, just properly taking care of our of our brains in that way?
2: I think a continue talking about it, um, b listening to others when there may not, when they may not come out to you and say, I have depression, but, you know, listen when your friends talk. And if it seems like they've been in this dark place for a while, you don't need to label them. You don't need to give them medical advice, but just be there for them. I think those are, th- I think those are the two main things I would say Um had another one but obviously I forgot
1: um Rachel anything to add so I talking about it for sure I would say educating yourself right like learn about mental illness learn about mental health learn about depression learn about eating disorders like learn about this stuff and a big one for me is be very careful with your language and we've talked about this before Rifki like don't walk around being like oh my god she's so skinny she's anorexic like, seriously, do you know what it means to be anorexic? Oh my God. I'm so OCD. I can't, my grid on Instagram is making, stop it. Stop it. You're not OCD. She's psycho. Like I can't stand when I see people saying that she's psycho, like psychotic. No, there's people that are actually like having psychotic episodes and like, do you know what that means for them? And again, when we use that language, if we're speaking to someone who's struggling with that they feel so much shame like oh you know like you think that I'm, you know even the word like and, and it bothers me so much when i hear this word but people use the the word retarded like non-stop and they use it to mean this is stupid this is crazy you are hurting people that have children that have mental retardation you are hurting so many people you know, it's offensive children, siblings, parents, like it's, it's so painful. We need to be careful with our words because that does exacerbate stigma. Um, and so I think that's really important. And I think just supporting people, um, treating people with dignity and respect. And like I said, if you see someone who's coming on Instagram and they're looking for attention instead of that, like automatic response of like, Oh my God, what a train wreck. Oh, she just wants attention all the time. Maybe just get curious. Like, I wonder what must be going on for this person if like, this is what they're doing or even reframing it, right? Because maybe people will look at you, Alyssa and be like, oh, she just wants attention. She's always talking about her problems. Okay, maybe she's actually trying to like help other people people in the community. Maybe she comes and talks about it, not because she is looking for support. She has support and she's doing all the things she needs to, but she understands that it's a very lonely world to be someone who's in a Jewish community, in a small community, that's a big community and and struggling with this and knowing nobody talks about it. So maybe she's not looking for attention. Maybe she's trying to, she's saying, I know other people are going through what I'm going through. And so I'm going to talk about it. You know, so I think even just reframing it and being just more supportive in general is really helpful. Um, yeah, I couldn't agree more, especially when it comes, you know, when
0: you mentioned about educating yourself and stuff and and in that kind of area, that was why we set out to do this series. And I know that I personally have learned a, a ton about these different topics that we've explored deeper and and it and it does help you reframe the way that you think about the way that you think about, about these issues. So thank you so much to you both for taking the time to, to come on and and discuss this with me today. Um, Alyssa, if somebody wants to learn more about you, see more of what you share, um, generally get to know you and your really adorable family more, where can they go?
2: Um, Instagram at Alyssa Goldwater, A-L-Y-S-S-A. Goldwater is how it sounds. You would be surprised how often I have to tell people how to spell it. Um, I'm also on TikTok, same name. Uh, I know, can you even? Um, but really, Instagram is the place or a glass of goldwater.com, not a glass of Cold water, which is something I often also get. Anywho, thank you so much for having me. It is so great to speak to two powerhouse women that I love and respect so much, really. Thank you so
0: much for coming on. And Rachel, where can people find you
1: for the last time? So you can find me on Instagram at Rachel Tuckman LMHC. I am not on Tickety Talk. We call it Tickety Talk in my house just to bother. <laughs> teenager. I am not on Tickety Talk. Um, I know I should be, but I cannot function doing more than one thing, but I also have a website where I post a lot of my content. I will be posting more things to come on my website and that's racheltuckman.com.
0: Awesome. Tickety tuck. I'm adopting that one. Okay. I love that. Thank you. you want for... to make a yes. she, she hates it. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Alyssa, now you can only make tickety talks. That's it from here on <laughs> out. I know. Oh, I know. That's <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much to you both for coming on today. Thank you.
1: Thanks.
0: Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Rachel or Alyssa, their links are in the show notes. This is the fourth and final in a series that ran throughout the winter. You can listen to previous episodes by scrolling back in your podcast feed. The Be Impactful podcast is a project of Impact Fashion, the clothing line I created because I believe that we are all deserving of the beautiful things life has to offer. See my modest designs that are available in sizes 2 through 24 by going to impactfashionnyc.com. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art. There are currently 15 people listed by Ora Agunot as a recalcitrant party. View their names, photos, locations, and details of their cases by visiting getora.org recalcitrant-parties. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses. Original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Riff Gietzkowitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.